Well, good morning, church. Uh, for those that are visiting, my name is John. I'm the senior, uh, the lead pastor here. I don't want to say senior. That makes me feel old. I'm the lead pastor. I know. I know. I am. When people ask me, uh, what kind of a church do you go to? I say a fun one. Okay, I'm going to do something uh, miraculous this morning. We're going to start my sermon today with the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount series. This is the third week, and I haven't gotten to it yet. So please, quickly, before something else happens, open your Bibles, your electronic Bibles, your physical Bibles. Let's go up here to Matthew chapter 5. It's in the New Testament. And everybody, say, here we go. Let's get to Matthew chapter 5, Nick. Verse 1. I'm going to tell you guys up this wrong. The same page, okay. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Okay. Uh, let, let, let's go to verse 3. Verse 3. Okay, everybody say the first word with me real loud. Blessed. Okay, now stop. That ha- that's how he began the most important sermon he ever preached. A three-chapter sermon. Blessed. This means happy, supremely blessed. The condition in which congratulations are in order. It's a grace word that expresses the special joys and satisfaction granted to the person who experiences salvation. Everybody say, blessed. Blessed. You see, the reason he starts the most important sermon of his ministry to a broken humanity is because if you and I do not start from the position of being blessed by God, we have no hope. He begins his message with blessed because that's his nature. He's slamming into a religious system that was shaming and crushing people with legalistic religious demands to try to someday attain to a relationship with God. So the Pharisees, the only, the only spirituality that these people in this region knew was the rules and the laws of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Their message to the human race was, do more, try harder, do more, try harder, do more, try harder. And what does that make you feel like as a believer? Quitting. After I gave my life to Jesus, about three months into it, I decided to quit. And the person who brought me to church and was discipling me said, why do you want to quit? I said, I just can't do this. I can't. I'm I'm trying to change my ways and and, and, and I, I just keep failing. And he said to me that this is what saved my life. He said, John, did you save yourself? I said, no, Jesus did. He said, well, you can't change yourself either. 30 years later, here I am still pontificating for the kingdom of God, hopefully preaching as well. 
Jesus' nature, God's nature, is the blessed. So he comes with a religious message. His, well, let me not call it that, his spiritual message. Blessed. Now let's go to the book of Genesis. I told you, we made it to the Sermon on the Mount. Now let's go to the book of Genesis. We'll come back. In the book of Genesis, chapter 1, I want you to see uh, that this is God's nature. And it is his empowerment for spiritual life. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God said to them, try really, really hard to measure up to my standards and I might give you a little blessing now and then if you really ring the bell and impress me with your awesomeness. He knows they don't have a chance to be who he's created them to be and accomplish what he's called them to accomplish unless they are first, say it out loud, blessed. The first thing God does to his man, his first man and woman, is it says he Blast them. Oh, man, our God is good. Listen, I did it this morning. I do it every morning. I say to God, I was doing it this morning. I'm walking in my bedroom just waiting to come here and just preach to you this morning. I was walking back and forth. I raised my hands and I said, God, bless me and bless me indeed. And I just receive it. Bless me, God. Bless me, God. Bless me, God. Now, some of you might say, ooh, I don't know if I should do that. Well, then you just go ahead and stay weak and sickly and, and very limited in your resources. I need God's blessing on my life to be a good dad and a good husband and a good pastor, the salt and light of the world. I can't do that in my own human resources. Are you kidding me? Amen. Now, when someone on the senior leadership team says, agreed, you know you're hitting the mark. Will you, can, you, can you say that this morning? You just stop right here and just say, God bless me. Go ahead. Woo! Uh, okay, now some of you are just kind of getting used to this idea because you're usually doing the tuck head with God. You know what the tuck head is, right? When you're walking around like this. Because you know he's disappointed with you. Well, when he's disappointed with you, that's the time you need more of his blessing. Because whatever it is that you did that caused the disappointment, you need some extra blessing to help you live with more holiness and godliness. I want to show this to you now. Let's go to the book of uh, first, uh, let's go to uh, Ephesians. No, let's go to Second Peter first. We're, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Second Peter chapter 1. This is all in my notes right here, okay? Second Peter chapter 1. You with me? Woo! No? Second Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 2. Well, let's start with verse 1. We'll start, we'll start at the beginning of the letter. This is Peter who knew Jesus very well. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious religious 
laws to obey. No. Those who obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given, past tense, has given to us, everybody say it out loud, all things that pertain to life and godliness. There's no temptation in life, there's no trial in life, there's no struggle in life that God has not already blessed you with the ability to overcome. He blesses you in advance. Like, for example, when an astronaut is going to be shot out into space, do they just kind of like throw them a, you know, like, like a, they just throw them a little pack of cookies and, you know, a case of water and just say, good luck, hope you make it back. Completely out of shape. Might not have enough fuel, we're not sure, but, you know, just get up there and we'll see what happens. That's ridiculous, right? No, they equip these astronauts before they send them out into space. Or race car drivers. Man, talk about the preparation. Talk about the equipping. Talk about the supply. Last night we saw, I don't know if you guys saw that, on, I was watching ESPN, and somebody got into the most gnarly race car accident I've ever seen. His car just disintegrated. And yet, when it's all said and done, he comes climbing out of it. And everybody's shouting, you know, and celebrating that, that, that he's alive. Why? Because of everything that went into protecting him so that he could get into that vehicle. There's nothing more dangerous than just living life on the planet Earth. Satan is roaming around like a lion, seeking whom he may deceive, you know, lure away from Christ and devour. There are rapists and murderers and thieves I mean, we, we are on a planet that is just volatile with evil. Look at ISIS. Look at, look at what's going on in life. From the shallow end to the deep end, life is tough. Jesus said, in this life, Jesus said this, in this life, you will have trouble. He prophesied that over us. He said, it was just, he was just stating the facts. He said, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. He said, well, that's good for you, but what's that have to do with us? Because Jesus blesses us. Jesus blesses us so that we can also overcome the world. Look at this. Let's go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. And then we're going to get back to Matthew, chapter 5. Ephesians 1 is in my notes. Ephesians, chapter 1. We will start with verse 1. Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, keeping it simple. So we did 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Now here's Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through 3, opening with the same mantra. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who were in San Diego at the Gathering Place Church and faithful in the Christ Jesus, grace to you. Everybody say grace to you. You see, that? see how that opens? We're not working trying to earn God's favor. God is already pouring his favor upon us as his kids so that we can be the salt and light of the world. It's important that you recognize this so we understand the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is coming from. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody say it out loud. No, no, no. Verse, verse 3. Say it. 
Look at that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has what? Blessed us with little tiny mercy drops. I hate songs like that. I hate them. There's a song called Mercy Drops from Heaven. I do not need mercy drops. I need mercy flooding. And so do you. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, now let's go back to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. And let's do a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And I promise you I won't get farther than the salt and light portion. And we may have to come back to this when I'm back in the pulpit uh, in a few weeks. What I want to say at the outset, I said this uh, preliminarily a couple weeks ago, but I want to say it again now for those that didn't hear and are reestablishing their minds because this is going to be contrary to probably what you've heard and how you've heard the, the Sermon on the Mount taught, especially the Beatitudes. I was asked to teach on the Beatitudes a few times, and I prayed about it, and I thought, let's do this. And as I got into it, it was my mistake thinking I could teach on the Beatitudes in three weeks because the Beatitudes is the introduction to a, a three-chapter sermon that has to do with everything that has to do with human life. And we couldn't get into the beginning of the sermon until we got the context of the sermon, which you had to back all the way up to the beginning of chapter 4, where Jesus is tempted in the desert, then he overcomes it, and then he comes in preaching his first sermon, repent, the kingdom of the heavens is upon you to bless you. Then he tells his disciples, his first disciples, come follow me, let's drag people into the kingdom. And then he demonstrates what the kingdom looks like by healing everybody who came to him. Then he said, blessed. And what he does next, and I want you to consider this as a, as a perspective and interpretation of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes you may have never heard before. So just consider this. I truly believe this is theologically accurate. Jesus just dove into a pile of broken humanity, brought the kingdom upon him right at the end, the end of chapter 4, healing and delivering and setting people free. Then he sits down. They all come to him, and he says, and then he starts to teach this is how Jesus does this. He, he teaches on what's right in front of him. When you see this through the scriptures, you know, a guy comes out and says, Hey, Jesus, tell my brother to give me half of my inheritance. So Jesus teaches on greed right then and there. Somebody comes and says, Hey, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, Well, let me tell you who your neighbor is, right? And he does a message right there on this immediate encounter. The word parable means to throw down beside. In other words, Jesus told parables, which are stories. He would see what's happening in the immediate uh, uh, society, the immediate day, maybe in, right in front of his face, a current event. He would look at what's happening currently, then he would tell a story, which means a parable, parallel. He throws a truth down right next to an actual event. That, that's how Jesus taught. So he's throwing down the Sermon on the Mount right Next to his, his bringing the kingdom upon broken humanity. And the first word he says is blessed. Who does he say is blessed first? Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Now let me ask you a question. Are you blessed because you're poor in spirit? Or are you blessed 
because you were poor in spirit, and then the kingdom of God came upon you, and now you're spirit-filled. But the way we've heard this traditionally taught throughout the years is you're blessed if you're poor in spirit. And the interpretation of poor in spirit, then you have to go through all sorts of gymnastics, mental, spiritual, theological gymnastics to make something like poor in spirit something to be admired and attained to. So we all go around acting weird. Poor in spirit. You can't be poor in spirit if Jesus lives in your spirit and you've been spirit-filled and you've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. What Jesus is saying is this left category are not, are not positions to, be, to attain to so that you therefore can qualify for the kingdom or that's a whole new set of do more and try harder list. Oh, gosh, now if all I can do is make myself be poor in spirit, at least in my attitude, then this is salvation by attitude now. I get the kingdom if I can somehow attain to being poor in spirit. What's the next one? Mourning. Oh, okay, I I need to mourn. I can't go around being happy. I've got to mourn because if I mourn, then this spiritual posture of false humility will somehow cause me to attain comfort. It doesn't make sense. And so when I was reading commentaries on this, there were actual, and I don't say this to to downplay other theologians because they're great teachers in the body of Christ, but sometimes we hear hear things taught so many times we just believe them the way they're taught. That's why I say to you, I say to you, consider this perspective, search it out for yourself. And I was reading this commentary and one of them even said, this is an escalating attainment. The first one from poor in spirit all the way up to pure in heart and hunger and thirst. And they keep getting more. And so you finally attain to the life that Jesus calls us to. I I, I almost just like fell apart in my chair as I was reading that under the weight of attaining anything other than Jesus bless me. Because I am poor in spirit without your blessing. Life is hard. Therefore, there are seasons of mourning when a parent outlives their child. When a spouse says, I'm leaving you, I'm in love with someone else. When all of your inheritance or all of your investments have been flushed down the toilet because of the economy. When a company you've worked for for 30 years fires you before you get your full pension. The injustices, the unmerciful acts of other people, the weeping, the mourning. The loss of a loved one. That's not a blessed state. Nor do you automatically experience the blessing just because you're mourning. This is very important. If Jesus is saying, just by being in the condition of being poor in spirit, yours is the kingdom of God, then we don't need Jesus. If I can experience comfort just because I'm mourning, then my mourning has attained the comfort. It's an automatic, I guess. So you don't need Jesus. What Jesus is saying here, I believe, you see the people that were just poor in spirit a few minutes ago? You see the people who were mourning just a few minutes ago? 
when they were touched by me, the Savior, the kingdom came upon them, and now their condition has changed because their position has changed. I knew that was good because I wrote it down this morning as I was praying. And you just picked up on that. You got your antenna up this morning. That little one was from the Holy Spirit. Your condition has changed because your position has changed. In Christ, your position changes. We read that in Ephesians chapter 1. God has blessed you with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, not just because you were in some other condition that God had pity on you. You have to come through Jesus. What about the next one? The meek. Meekness is absolutely a commendable, desirable, attractive um, trait, characteristic of a person. Nobody likes prideful people who just push their way ahead and self-promote. But the reality is, a person who is meek, many times is going to get trampled on. I remember when Hope and I were in another country. I won't say which country because it's politically incorrect and offensive. So we were in another country, and we're trying to get on this, uh, this like this, uh, this subway type thing, you know, at, at the airport or somewhere. I can't remember where we were. And there's a crowd of people there, right? And we're like right up close to the door. So they're going to open. You have a certain amount of time to get in. Then they close, and you're in, and the train goes. It opens. And, of course, in America, because we're all so wonderful, you, you consider who was there first. This is just the way we are, right? It's, it's really rude to do what they did. I'm talking about old ladies, old men, young people. They just all started pushing and elbowing and crowding. And I'm like, oh, whoa, hey, 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 hey. And the door's closed, whoa, and the train goes by. And I thought, that was, what? That was so rude. And so the next train comes up, the doors open, and, of course, I'm up front now. So this isn't going to happen again. Man, the elbows start flying and people coming under. And there was a crowd in, the door shut, and the train went by. I thought, this is wrong. But if I don't behave the way they're behaving, we're going to stand on this platform all day long. So the next time the doors open, I elbow some old lady in the face. No, I didn't. I had to become someone I wasn't to get ahead. And that's what happens to us in the earth when we're in a dog-eat-dog, nice-guys-finish-last world. And what Jesus is saying is those who are meek... They will not self-promote and not push themselves ahead. When you come to me, you inherit the kingdom of God, which includes me promoting you. For promotion doesn't come from the east or the west, but from the Lord above. And when it's all said and done, you will inherit a new heavens and a new earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. What he's saying to the meek is, in my kingdom, your meekness is going to end up resulting in sometimes temporary promotion because you're trusting me, and ultimately, eternally, eternal promotion because you will inherit the earth. Then he goes down to the hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now, I may sacrifice a, a sacred cow right here. Because hungering and thirsting after righteousness has become a mantra for us in the body of Christ. And I do believe that hungering after God and thirsting after God is a good thing. But I also believe, a couple of things I want to say here. I also believe that when you come to God 
and you connect with him, your hunger and thirst should go away. Isaiah 55 actually says, hey, that's what it opens up with. It's the word ho, which I wouldn't really want to use, but I just did. He says, ho, you who hunger and you who thirst, come by without money and without price. Come by from God and your soul shall be satisfied. What about the woman at the well? He says, if you keep drinking the waters of the world, the natural waters of the world, you're going to continue to be thirsty. And that's what I did. I'm you know, doing drugs and, and being, going to entertainment and from relationship to relationship. What am I going to major in? What career am I going to have? I, kept, you know, I went to school and I kept getting more and more. I kept adding more classes. And the more I added to my life, friends, parties, girls, the, the bigger this hole in me kept getting. It was a paradox and it was driving me crazy. What I didn't realize was nobody, I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's not if it's real. And it was real for me, and it's real for every human being. There is a God-shaped hole inside of every one of us, and if God doesn't fill it, it will never be filled. But when you come to God and you're in relationship with Him, His Spirit continually fills you with joy and peace and faith and hope. Jesus says, if you, if you drink from me... You will never thirst again. You will never thirst again. So what is he talking about here? Well, notice this doesn't say they that hunger and thirst after God. It says they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. What I believe he's saying here is those who want things to be right in the earth. When injustice prevails so often in the earth, it's vexing to us as the human race. When criminals get off, somebody murders your child and they get off on a technicality or they only spend six months or a couple years in jail, that's an injustice. Righteousness is not prevailing. You see this in the Old Testament where the prophets cry out, righteousness fails in the streets. God, when are you going to move? And I believe what Jesus is saying here is those that are hungering and thirsting for things to be right in the earth. When you come to me, the first thing that's going to happen is you are going to experience my righteousness and your relationship with God. Because the reality is you're wrong in yourself because of your sin. You have unrighteousness coursing throughout your soul because of your fallen nature. You come to me, the first thing that happens is I will forgive you for all of your sins and I will pour my righteousness into you and you will become, the Bible says, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Woo! They to hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. Then, many times when you're on your knees and you're in prayer, saying, crying to God about an unrighteous situation in the earth, he will intervene and turn wrongs right. And I have numerous testimonies, which I don't have time for right now. But you know what I'm talking about. When God intervenes, in fact, I'll give you one example. There's Some of you, I see your faces. There's two I can think of right now that have already three. Your boss is being an idiot. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I just got attention of about most of the room. We don't like authority, and authority is imperfect, and of course we would do it perfect if I was in charge. Right. And then there'd be people under you calling you an idiot. That's just the way we are. We're fallen. We judge. We criticize. But let's say he really is an idiot. Being unjust and unfair with your wages, promoting somebody around you, 
the politicalness of your, your, your work environment, and you are powerless and can't do anything about it. And some of you have, have come to me and I said, let's pray this prayer. This is what I like to pray. Because God many times will make wrongs right. Let's pray and prove them or remove them. Just last week, someone that's here in the church came to me and said, my boss got fired. Hallelujah. But let me tell you something. The, the posture and demeanor of this individual who's a member of our church was godly most of the time. Is that right, Jeanette? Ask the wife. Rather than cursing the boss, submitting to Jesus. I call it the authority sandwich. You got Jesus, you got your boss or your authority figure, and then you have the person, you, that's being oppressed. If you will submit to the authority over your life and God sees that, God will squeeze. And this person either improves or he removes. He's done it for me numerous times. They that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful. I want to get to the salt and light. We don't have a whole lot of time left, so I want to I'm going to expedite with this. You can search these out yourself. You can study these out. You get, the, you get the idea, right? You get in the concept. Blessed are the merciful. They shall obtain mercy. Not all the merciful get mercy in the earth. So that can't be what he's talking about. He's saying those who are merciful in the earth and you get taken advantage of. You forgive. You forgive debts. And then they trespass against you again over and over and over. He said in my kingdom... You're going to experience mercy. The mercy that you show and desire in my kingdom, you come to the throne of grace where you will obtain mercy and find grace for help in the time of need. Then he goes down to The pure in heart. You say, oh, what about this one? There's different ways that you can interpret the pure in heart. And there's a bunch of other scriptures I could be bouncing to. We just don't have the time. The pure in heart. Another way you can, the, the, another way you can see this in the Greek is a heart that desires things to be done with right motives. You hate manipulation. You hate hypocrisy. And you're prone to being a perfectionist. And so the world is a vexing place for you. And you find yourself being critical and judgmental of others because you're always suspecting dark motives, pure in heart. Nathaniel's one of these. Andrew goes, Andrew goes and gets Nathaniel and says, We found the Messiah. And what did Nathaniel say? What did he say? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Here's Nathaniel, who Jesus said, and whom there is no guile. Pure of heart. He wants it to be real. He's, he's investigating and analyzing the Son of God. I'm not convinced that you're the Son of God. Can anything good? See, he's doing his scientific analysis on the Messiah. Where were you born? Who are your friends? Okay, where, where have you been? And Jesus says, ah. Everybody else would have said, oh, man, Nathaniel, he's such an irritant. 
right? He's always asking questions. He's never believing. And Jesus said, ah, an Israelite in whom there's no guile. He's pure of heart. And then Jesus says, ta-da. And Nathaniel says, you're the son of God. And Jesus says to him, you ain't seen nothing yet. That's my paraphrase, but you can read it in John chapter 1. It happened just like that. Those that are pure in heart, your heart will be satisfied because you are going to see God. Once you come through me, nobody comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So you come through Jesus and you begin to see God. And ultimately, you will see him face to face in heaven. And then you have the peacemakers, uh, same concept, trying to make peace in the earth, full of strife and division. Doesn't happen so many times. But in the kingdom of God, the Prince of Peace fills your hearts. And Jesus even said, you'll go into a house and you can now let your peace rest upon a house. You literally become dispensers of peace once you become a child of God by coming through Jesus Christ. And then we get into the fun stuff, the last one. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Clearly, we're not talking about being persecuted for righteousness' sake because you are fighting for righteous cause. It's got to be about the kingdom of God because he says, for theirs is the kingdom, and he details it. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, say all kinds of false things and evil against you for my sake. Well, it wouldn't be for Jesus' sake unless you were in Christ. So clearly what he's talking about here is once you come to me and you stand for my kingdom, for my core values, for my kingdom principles, once you stand for me in the earth, so far I promise that you're going to inherit the kingdom, you're going to be comforted, you're going to inherit the earth, you're going to be filled, you're going to obtain mercy, you're going to see the face of God, you're going to become a son of, or a daughter of God. But here's the last one. Because of your transformation that took place in you once you came to me, and now you're a kingdom citizen still living in the earth, guess what? Fun's coming your way. And it's called persecution. They're going to falsely accuse you. Okay, now here's one that's relevant. They're going to falsely accuse you of being a hater. Because you do not support the federal federal, uh, ruling, federal law that just came down about same-sex marriage. They're going to falsely accuse you of being a hater and a judger. This is one current application of this. Because the Bible's very clear on what the Bible's very clear on same sex marriage, on homosexuality. Very clear. It's sin, in case you weren't clear on what the Bible says about it. In fact, last week we looked at a scripture that says many of you used to be idolaters, murderers, homosexuals, gluttons, okay, thieves. It goes on to this whole list of what you used to be, but now. You have been saved, sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So you've been transformed through salvation by the power of God. So that's just one passage of many where the Bible is very clear. So he goes on to say, after the persecution piece, and this is what I want to get to in my closing, 
once you have been transformed by being touched by Jesus and the kingdom of God is upon you and you and you now have been transformed, now you're going to be persecuted. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying to them, once you've been transformed by the kingdom, you now are in the condition, you've been changed, and now you are salty and bright. Um, Salt has the capability of flavoring. How many of you like salt on your food? Just raise your hand. I mean, you just like it, like it, like it, like it. Not you can't have it, but you like it. Salt, 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 salt. Man, I like having my stuff salted. It also is preserving. They pack meats. Even today where there's no refrigeration, they pack the the meat in salt so that it preserves the meat. It's preserving. It also, in Ohio, where I'm from, when there's snow on the ground in the streets and you can't drive, what do they do? Throw salt on it and it melts the cold. It's also a healing agent. In fact, there's some facts about salt. How valuable is salt? We, we eat 40 million tons each year. Homer called it divine. Plato called it the substance dear to the gods. Shakespeare mentioned it's salt 17 times in his plays. Perhaps Leonardo da Vinci wanted to send a subtle message about the purity lost when he painted the Last Supper, and in that painting, there's an overturned salt cellar in front of Judas. In ancient Greek, there was a slave trade where you would exchange salt for a slave. This is where the expression, not worth his salt, came from. Special salt rations were given to Roman soldiers, and it was known as solarium argentums the forerunner to the English word salary. Thousands of Napoleon's troops died during his retreat from Moscow because their wounds would not heal. Their bodies lacked salt. The human body contains about four ounces of salt. Without enough of it, muscles won't contract, blood won't circulate, food won't digest, and the heart won't beat. Without a doubt, salt is essential to life. And Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. So what happens, let's take this case. What happens when you, out of peer pressure, out of societal pressure, where you are categorized now as a hater and a judger, at work, at school, in your family, because you have chosen to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he's very clear about this law that just came down. I'm talking about this law because I need to, as your shepherd, you need to hear from me. But also because it's 
it's relevant as Jesus. Something happens in society, you've got to speak to it from the Word of God. What does salt do? Salt preserves. Salt heals. If you're going to back down from your position as a Christ follower about homosexuality and gay marriage and that whole thing, you have just lost your saltiness, which means you're not going to preserve or heal anybody. Why? Because you're no different now than the world. So what is it you have to offer? Nothing different than what the world is already saying and doing. The only way you maintain your saltiness is by staying right in the center of the will of God. When society, here's God, here's what he, God, God's image expressed through a man and woman. When they come together in intimacy, they are one flesh and they reflect the glory of God. You decide out of, maybe it's out of your own, your own feelings, which will also get you in trouble. I just don't think it's right. Well, what you think, when you think something's right or wrong, and it's different than what God thinks, you no longer are on his page, which means you're actually wrong. Right? So God's over here saying man and woman, and you say, yeah, but I just don't think. I think they were born that way. So what, the, what right do we have? All of that philosophical rationalization However you end up with your conclusion that it's okay, it's not okay because God's right here. He's reaching out with blessing because the homosexual community needs blessing, not cursing. So we're not better. The only reason that we're as blessed as we are is because God chose to bless us what the homosexual community needs is blessing god causes the sun and his the sun to rise on the good and the evil the righteous and the unrighteous and his reign to right so to be children of god we need to be people who are blessing and loving but that doesn't mean compromising what jesus teaches which means you're going to be persecuted we also have to understand what's really behind this whole ruling I know I, I got to it with just uh, about five minutes to go, and, but I got into it, so I just need to uh, finish this. This is a very important application point, but it's so testy and so vibrant right now, so raw in our society that I can't just, I can't microwave this little talk here, right? What is behind this? Many of us know um, homosexuals, and they're good people. It has nothing to do with being a good or bad person. It's people. And you know them. You have a relative. You have a friend, and you get to know them, and you see the sincerity of their heart. You see them, what a wonderful person they are, and you start to think, man, what it's so mean to think that, to say that they are you know, full of sin or sinful or wrong or whatever. So that phileo, that phileo love, that, that friendly love causes you to move away from biblical convictions because i know this person well and i know a lot of people including myself that are also sinful so just because you have an affinity for an individual doesn't mean that you can change the bible to accommodate them and here's the bigger point 
you are hopeless in ever changing them back to the original state that Jesus intended for them to be in. If you are going to remove away from biblical conviction and you're going to embrace them in their homosexuality, there's no hope that God could ever use you to bring change to their life. You've just lost your saltiness and your light has gone out. So whether it is, I know someone, and he's a wonderful person, or I just don't think this is right, or I cannot handle the social pressure of people knowing that I'm a Christian that actually believes these things, says they're going to call me a hater, and I've got to go to school with them, and I've got to go to work with them. And so the persecution, you just start to hide. What are you doing now? Jesus said, you're the light of the world. People don't take a light and put it under a table. You set it out on the lampstand so everybody can see. But it doesn't mean you need to get a floodlight out and blind everybody. You don't take the whole salt shaker and pour the whole thing on your steak. And you don't go out and blind people. Have you ever driven down like 67 or 78 and somebody's got their brights on? You just want to punch them in the face, don't you? Right? You're going to cause people to wreck. Okay, this is the other extreme of being a Christ follower and they're going out and, 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 you know, saying God hates homosexuals. First of all, that's not true. Second of all, you're, you're blinding people. Too much salt destroys food. Too much light blinds people. So that's a whole other message, isn't it? About, about how, to, how, how to truly be the preserving people on the planet waiting for conversations to come up where there can be a mutual respect and an exchange and dialogue. That's why I'm rarely on Facebook. I don't get into discussions because people being dumb out there, destructive, unhelpful in their language and their spirit and their perspectives. So I, I pretty much stay out of that. But there's this other side that Jesus is talking about. Right here he's not talking about how to effectively engage somebody in conversation around these things. And hopefully, as you are giving a little bit of salt into their soul and a little bit of light, and hopefully preserving their soul and hopefully bringing them to Christ for transformation, Jesus isn't talking about that here. He's talking about do not, do not let your salt lose its saltiness and don't let your light go out or you are useless to my mission, which is to save the human race. He says what they will do with salt that's not good anymore is they just throw it into the street and people just trample it down because the salt has lost its saltiness. And that's what they did in Palestine if it was exposed to the, to the sun or to the rain or whatever else, and it would just disintegrate. And, and if you throw it into the fields to get rid of it, it destroys the soil. And so they just throw it into the streets and people just trample on the salt. So you've got to ask yourself, do I want to cower to the culture and become useless to Jesus in the kingdom of God? Or am I willing, like I had somebody just walk out as soon as I started talking about this. Look, I'm trying to, the staff and I are trying to build a church, but we want to be, build the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we don't want to build a church where nobody's offended because that means nobody's hearing the truth. We also don't want to build a church where we just are mean and we just preach the truth no matter what. It's got to be done in grace and love. 
So, so I, I absolutely will not compromise. I mean, I have a call from God, and I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, when I see Jesus face to face. So we will have people walk out. We'll have people, I'm sure, call me names and call you names. But our goal is to save souls, to restore lives. But it begins with deciding, I am not going to lose my saltiness. And I'm not going to let my light go out because I'm afraid. And ultimately, I want to close with this. This is obviously just one application of the salt and light. Ultimately, we have to understand this church. When Jerry opened up with that song, hey, that was Jerry's first time to lead worship here at the gathering place. (laughs) Ultimately, we need to understand, when Jerry opened up with the first song, this is what I got from the Lord. The primary thought was this. We've got to be very spiritually minded about these things, family of God. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. Who do you think is trying to distort the image of God? Human beings are just caught in the clash of the kingdoms. There's not just homosexuals. There's also pornographers. There's also adulterers. There's also alcoholics. There's also drug addicts. There's also wife beaters. I mean, come on. We're talking about us, right? To certain degrees. We're all sinners, right? Every one of us. Okay, we're saints, but guess what? We still sin. So we're sinning saints, all right? We're a mixture. So we have no stones to throw at anybody. We're caught in a cosmic battle. Okay, this is just one sin that um, people are bound by. And it's a tough one. It's a deep one. It's a personal one. It takes more gentleness than most any other sin. And one of the places to start, or should I say the place to start, is to step back from the human scene, the landscape, and recognize that Satan is trying to distort the image of God and trying to shut down the church. Because this law that came down is not primarily, if you look at it from a spiritual, through a spiritual lens, spiritual warfare lens, is not primarily about men and women being able to choose their sexual orientation. It's about religious freedom. Because this is going to become hate speech. It's about intimidation, and it's about persecution. It's about silencing the church, which is what Satan has been trying to do ever since the church was birthed. So this ultimately is about distorting and perverting the image of God, the glory of God, and silencing the church. That's what it's really about. So don't get angry at people. Please don't get judgmental at people. Let's be Jesus to people. He is the light of the world. And then he turned to us and said, now that I've touched you and I'm in you, 
Now you're the life of the party. Walk like me, and we're going to save souls together. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to ask you to uh, commit to Jesus right now. I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes. And um, this salt and light thing, it's your responsibility you, in, in the sense that it's your choice. I'm going to ask you to make a decision right now to draw a line in the spiritual sand of your own life. Because I can't do it for you and Jesus can't do it for you. He will show you how to be the salt and light, and he will empower you to be the salt and light in your immediate um, social circles. But you have to choose to be the salt and light. And that's what I would ask you to do right now. To make the choice, I am going to be your salt and your light, Jesus. And then once you make that decision, then ask him to bless you. I'm going to do this with you right now. Then ask him to bless you. So first, make the decision right now before you and Jesus, right where you are. It's between you and him. Are you going to be a follower of Jesus Christ or are you going to follow the world? I'm going to let you make that choice right now in your own soul, in your own mind. What are you going to do? If you're here this morning and you are, of course, maybe wrestling with this, maybe you're, you're on the side of, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to be on the side of Jesus because this is where the rubber really meets the road. These kind of social issues are, are really where, the, where, where it stops being a sermon and starts being a, your reality. The Bible is very clear. Jesus, the Father is very clear that says, the more that you walk away from biblical convictions, the darker your heart and mind are going to get. I can show this to you in Scripture after Scripture, which I had in my notes, so I just didn't go there. The more you decide to compromise your closeness to Jesus, which means His Word and His ways, the darker your heart and mind get. And that's just a, a warning for you and, and what happens to your soul when you, when you get lured away from the ways of God. So I'm going to challenge you right now to make that line in the sand. I am going to be the salt and light of the world. Now ask the Lord to bless you right where you are. Just say, Lord, bless me in this because, you know, my situation is a tough one. Bless me, Lord. Bless me. Just ask him right now. Say, bless me. This is, how I, this is how I can do it with your blessing. Bless me with your wisdom. Bless me with your courage. Bless me with words of life. And then just say, may I, bright, may I shine brightly for you, Jesus. Just say that to him. May I shine brightly for you, Jesus.
right before we go, I want to ask if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior. I want to say to you very plainly that you will never enter heaven if you do not give your life to Jesus. Because he paid the price for you. You will never be able to pay the price for your sins. The Bible says the penalty of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. But the free gift is eternal life through his son Jesus Christ. If you were to open your heart right now and ask Jesus into your life. And make him the Lord of your life. You will receive immediately, instantaneously, the free gift of salvation. And when you die, you will be in heaven with Jesus. So if that's you today and you need to ask Jesus Christ to be the Savior of your life, will you raise your hand right where you are and I'm going to pray for you and the Lord is going to save your soul this morning. If that's you, will you raise your hand? Raise it up really high so I can see it. I need to ask Jesus Christ into my life today. Anybody? Just raise it really high so I can see it. I want to ask Jesus Christ to be my Savior today. Okay. I don't see any hands. I'm going to stay down here in case you... uh, want to come down and pray that prayer with me but i bless you this morning in the name of the lord jesus and by the spirit of the living god do not listen i just got this from the holy spirit i know it's late do not be intimidated do not be intimidated says the lord i am with you i will empower you i will give you what to say in that moment and situation But do not be intimidated, says the Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you, church.